Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from Storyteller Academy. Learn the art of storytelling from published authors, illustrators, and editors at Storyteller Academy. From making picture book dummies, to character design, to their submission-ready workshop. If you are interested in writing or drawing stories for children, there is a workshop waiting for you. Sign up today at StorytellerAcademy.com. We have bad sleepers in our house. But they don't need you to rock them. And I'm not no. saying I'm complaining about the four-year-old woman <laughs> to rock her. I love that. But it, <laughs> it holds yeah. things up sometimes. <laughs> yeah, we could all use a good rocking to go to bed. I What's mean, wrong with that? Come on. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of on brand with what we're talking about tonight. <laughs> mm-hmm. Rock and roll. Rockin'. <laughs> Part of the other excitement tonight was um, Peppa Pig. We got some new Peppa Pig books in the library. <laughs> three lives, three threads, all weaving together to tell one story of a girl looking for a song, looking for the soundtrack of her life. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 516. Today I'm excited to welcome Keo McClear and Byron Eggenschweiler. Keo and Byron made a graphic novel together called Operatic. Actually, it's more accurate to say that, as with making picture books, Keo wrote operatic story in words and dialogue and left space for Byron to tell the story through paneled illustrations. The story in operatic centers on a girl named Charlie and her teacher's assignment to identify a song to include in the soundtrack of our lives. Emile, Charlie's classmate and consequently Charlie's crush, is also searching, but not for a song Luca has been missing from school, and no one's quite sure why, but not many are searching on his account. And then there's Maria Callas, renowned opera singer, who has her own story to tell. Where Kiyu ties narratives together with thread, Byron maps colors to transition in and out of different stories, for an effect that I felt showed great care for both the characters and also the reader. Please welcome my guests, Keo McClear and Byron Eggenschweiler, author and illustrator of Operatic. So I'm Keo McClear and I'm she, her, hers, and I'm a children's author and also I write for adults. Um, I've written a number of picture books and I've just written my first graphic novel. 
Um, my name is Byron Eggenschweiler. Uh, he, him, his. I'm an illustrator living in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, I guess. And um, I mo work mostly as an editorial illustrator. And yeah, Operatic is my first graphic novel and book altogether. Although I'm starting to get into some more book stuff now. Oh my word. Can we yeah. take a moment to acknowledge yeah. that this is your first book? And Keo, it's your first graphic novel, right? It's my first graphic novel. It was our first our editor's first graphic novel. So we were all debuting together. This is this is a lot of firsts. This is very yeah. exciting. Well, let yeah. me say up front as a reader that I I loved it. I thought the book was beautiful. I thought knowing nothing about either of you other than Keo, I know your picture books and I know you have worked with all of the amazing illustrators. Um, I think that they have all given your books, your stories, really beautiful voices. And in this book, it, it I can't help but feel like you both knew each other and worked together to make operatic because it feels symbiotic in the storytelling. It feels the way a graphic novel should feel. So bravo on all fronts, I guess. And that's a nod to the editor as well. Mm-hmm. That's great to hear, actually. Like, cause I we d we actually didn't meet until after the book was published. Oh, but my word, that's so I, awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty remarkable, actually, how how well the editor tied everything together. It was um, so um, yeah, it was Sheila Berry who started off with us. Who um, she died partway through the process, so that was really sad for everyone. And then it was Emma Sakamoto who took over at Groundwood. So we were in really good hands. Well, I'm so sorry to hear about the loss of Sheila, but I'm grateful that you had the opportunity to work with her and that she had the opportunity to help make this book, to make this story become a book, become something that we can all read and enjoy. So you don't know each other, which is awesome. <laughs> so let's start at the beginnings when you still didn't know each other at that point. Keo, how did... Well, well, first, I should back up. Can you tell those who have not read Operatic yet a little bit about what, what, what happens in this story? What is this story? Um, well, there are different narrative threads through the story, but it's a story of a middle school student named Charlie, and she's in a, a music class, and she has a kind of favorite teacher named Mr. K, and he assigns the class an assignment to find where everyone has to find their favorite song, um, a song that kind of best describes where they're at now. And kind of, you know, it's almost like a biography of who they are and, um, you know, what they're all about at that moment. And so um, this the book is really about music. It's about kind of listening outside your kind of listening zone. It's about her crush on a boy named Emil um, at the story of a boy named Luca who kind of vanishes for a period of time and what happens to him. Um, and threaded throughout the story is the story of Maria Callas, the great opera diva. So um, there's a kind of, uh, I guess, a biography sewn into it, but it's really about Maria Callas as a kind of muse, um, you know, and a character um, who kind of teaches Charlie in a way how to kind of express herself fully and to live a life that's kind of larger than life. I think that the the structure of storytelling that you employ here is gorgeous. You said it exactly, that it's threads weaving together. And Byron, where you came in with this story, you are are literally threading things together through the use of color. Um, and I, I, I want to jump in so much to all of the... <laughs> all of the details about everything. But I think I should first restrain myself and just ask, 
Byron, how did you first get involved in this project? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, I'm, it was a little bit strange, I think, on my end, because uh, I had, <laughs> why are you hiring me? What's going on? Why? <laughs> but, uh, do I have to? There's lots of do I have tos. But no, uh, yeah, I think I had done a, a book with Groundwood just before, uh, Coyote Tales. They were re, uh, I guess, reissuing it, and they were putting on a new cover and adding some chapter illustrations inside of it, so some black and white. Uh, illustration. So, so I did that for them, and I, I think it went pretty well. And I'm, I don't really know how I got connected with this, but I think maybe the timing was good. <laughs> I always say it's the timing where they needed someone, and they needed someone quick. So um, that's where I came in. But I think it just sort of worked out where they liked how that project went, and maybe thought it was a good fit for Keo's manuscript. And then they sent it to me, and yeah, I. It seemed like such a huge undertaking. Um, it is. Like it's a typically... graphic novel. Are you kidding me? It's a massive <laughs> yeah. undertaking. Yeah, it turns out it was, yeah. But, uh, yeah, like, typically I do, like I said, editorial stuff. So one image, you know, sometimes when they ask me to do three or something, I'm like, oh, that's so many images on the same sort of topic. And, and then comes this project, which was, uh, yeah, I think it came in at 160 pages. So that's a lot for me to go from you know, zero to doing that. But, uh, but yeah, I read it and loved it and yeah, sort of knew I couldn't turn it down and would just be kicking myself if I didn't jump on board. So, um, I guess then I had to do it and that's the story. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't I, know how to wrap that up. <laughs> I feel like I'm under Here the spell now. of Keo's story. There is yeah. no turning away. Yeah, I know. Like it the was siren like, call. I, yeah, obviously had known her work and read her books and yeah. And they were like, yeah, you can't say no to Keo. Keo, you've written novels for adults, but up to this point, this is this is the longest, at least published work you've written for children, correct? Yeah, that's right. So yeah. why jump in in the, I mean, I, I love, <laughs> those that know me know that I am obsessed with graphic novels, but to hear in your words, why why use the graphic novel format and not uh, writing it in, in prose instead? Well, I love collaborating. Like I just, partly because I work on my own when I write for adults, but I love the synergy between word and image. And the beauty of working with somebody like Gramwood is that we're not working with commercial comics. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of space between the words and the images to be metaphoric and symbolic. And I knew whenever I go into writing one of these projects, I feel like my job as a writer is to leave things kind of gloriously unfinished. And so leaving space for the illustration to tell the story in part two. And because it was about opera, I really felt like the, in some ways the images were going to act like the kind of the music to the, you know, to the lyric, which was, I, I was writing the lyrics and Byron was going to compose the kind of melody. And so there was just this way in which I wanted it to have that um, sense of amplitude. And I don't know that I can do that alone with words. I really, like, I love visual storytelling. I'm just so motivated um, to write the stories, but also because I, I love them. Like I, like, I love reading graphic novels. I love narrative that's kind of accompanied by images. I feel bereft when I read adult books and they don't have any images. Like, a lot of my favorite <laughs> adult writers use images. So, I don't know. I just felt like a natural progression. And my kids are growing older, and I wanted to keep writing for them. 
Um, and I was kind of immersed in that middle school environment because my sons were in middle school and it just felt like the right time. It feels like the perfect medium for this story. I can't imagine it any other way. And I think that allowing us to focus on these four, well, many more, a much larger cast, but on these four individuals to focus on Charlie, to focus on Luca ultimately, but especially to focus in on Emil and God, I love Mr. K. What a fun character. <laughs> but to have, to have, and oh, I should say also uh, Maria Callas, uh, but to focus in on these individuals and get to see them from all sides and know their story and follow their through lines, I think you do need that, 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 that having the visual component really does a lot of heavy lifting here and allows the words, the, the ruminations that these characters go through, especially. Charlie through her words and Emil mostly I feel wordlessly it's just so powerful I wonder in your manuscript Keo um I know when we write picture books we have to we have to save that space for interpretation from the illustrator but at times though when you write a comic there's really a certain pacing that you want to control in the panels and <clears throat> in the page turns so where where did you draw those lines and where, where, I guess, do you end and Byron begin? That's the <laughs> weirdest, most awkward way I can possibly ask that. Um, well, that's such a great question. I mean, I just, I, it is that kind of line between not wanting to over direct the illustrations. Cause I do like, I, I love the, I mean, Byron brings so much to the story and if I had, like if I had a chokehold on the narrative and I've been overly controlling, none of that, those metaphoric layers would be there. Like I would have, it would have been overly directed. And and the fact that there's so much space for him to interpret the words. And I think for the reader to come into the story, because those moments like the spreads without words are really a moment for the reader to kind of step in and feel things like, I mean, in opera, you know, you have the recit, the kind of the words, and then you have the aria, which is kind of the, the feeling, the sung feeling of the story. And I feel like the images were like the sung feeling of the story. And so like with Emil, you know, those kind of the moments with the butterflies. I was or just like, going to say, yes. yeah. All that stuff that Byron brought to it, like that to me is the transportive part, the part that really kind of taps into the emotions of the story. And I don't, I honestly think that it wouldn't have been anywhere near as like kind of moving without the, without Byron's art. And um, yeah, I mean, and in terms of the four narratives, like I, what I love about um, music kind of opera or like musical theater is that you can have four people singing at the same time and, and it's not a cacophony. They're all singing their story in tandem. Mm. And I wanted it to be an ensemble cast because I'm kind of, I'm really interested in stories that kind of stray away from the hero's quest or the hero's narrative where it's just one individual kind of leading the story and show. And I, I wanted it to be a story about friendship. So it felt kind of, it felt true to have those different threads and also for Byron to capture it with the different colors just felt, felt so perfect. Byron, you, you treated, and I, I'm saying this out of deep respect, you treated this book like a, a paneled picture book. And I say that because I, again, I read a, I'll read a lot of comics and I feel often my journey is from panel to panel and what I'm inferring between panels, but not often mm. am I given the treat like I get in picture books of, of the illustrator telling me to slow down 
<laughs> and the very first time we get a completely wordless spread across you know the entire book is Emil and that forest of butterflies behind him and it's breathtaking and it, that was the moment that I, I that I really felt I'm holding something really really special here and no. Keo for you it also made me uh -huh. feel I need to really listen closely to this story <laughs> because the two of you are trying to tell me something really important. Oh, that's yeah, so nice wow, to yeah, that's so nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was the the in for me was uh, maybe it's a bit of an inexperienced thing, but wanting to treat every I just wanted every page to be as pretty as I could make it and maybe not knowing the amount of work that would be probably played into it. But uh, yeah, and Keo just left all those nice moments of these quiet moments um, where you can sort of jump off with the artwork a bit and um, really enhance the emotion in a way that the words can't quite touch. And also by leaving those quiet moments and just having, you know, a visual that doesn't quite match up. I think it really like, uh, it conjures those strange moods inside of you that you can't quite put your finger on, I think. Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from Bharat Babies. Bharat Babies produces children's books about India with a story for everyone. I've featured their books several times on the podcast, and now I've got a special offer for you, dear podcast listener. Visit bharatbabies.com and get $5 off any purchase of $19.95 or more when you use the offer code READINGISRAD. That's Barat Babies, B-H-A-R-A-T-B-A-B-I-E-S dot com. Offer code reading is rad. Were the colors was was the distinction of of sort of storylines or yeah, I guess voices. Mm. Um labeling of voice or assigning a voice to a specific color. Um, was that always there in the beginning manuscript, Kia? Uh, no, that was totally Byron's oh, idea. Byron, I mean, come on. It was brilliant. It was, yeah. it was brilliant. It was uh, phenomenal. I mean, it works so beautifully that, so I should say for those that have not read this book yet, that we're, we're greeted for most of the beginning of the book with just this sort of a golden yellow with with black ink and whites for most of the story although right away in the beginning there's this blue desk that people are referring to or that charlie is referring to as just like it's been empty for two weeks and you know it's it's going through this stage of now it's being moved off to the corner and eventually it'll just be removed from the class and we don't it's it's purposefully the narrator is keeping from us the the significance of of the desk in connection to all of the other characters, but allowing the, the, you know, the desk to represent something, the unknown for us, but, but to have just that one item be blue and then to have the payoff of other colors coming into the story is just like, Oh my word. I was pins and needles waiting for, please give me a whole blue page. Am I getting there? It was wonderful. So where, when you were reading this manuscript, um, thinking about how you would approach it, you know, I, I understand that that takes an awful lot of restraint 
to approach a book and say, you know, I have all of these tools at my disposal, but I'm going to limit my palette down to this, down to just these, these four colors. Do you remember where in, in your um, planning or sketching or, or whenever that, that came to be? Um, it was a long time ago, but uh, yeah, I yeah, know. I, I do. Uh, I know when the initially, uh, yeah, Sheila had mentioned, she said up front, like, if you want to do it all black and white or, you know, this is a big undertaking. So, mm. you know, think ahead of how you want to color this. And of course, to me, I was thinking, yeah, I'll do full color and it'll be great. But part of it was limiting the colors did help for not only speed, but, uh, I, it's sort of something I've been getting into a bit with my work anyway these days is limiting the colors and I I really like it and I helped, I liked how it really helped separate the different you know timelines so you got the Luca blue and the Maria red and it kind of you know uh, structured the book like that because there was a bit of jumping back and forth with timelines and stuff that I thought would play play really well and then um, that kind of stuff almost like builds on itself like once you restrict one area to a color palette, by introducing another foreign color, you know, it really says something or it ties to something else and has you sort of wondering what that's all about. So, um, yeah, some of it kind of grew on it, like the desks being blue at the beginning wasn't in my original color once over. And then I think through talking, we sort of brought that to there, I think. But, I would uh, totally believe you yeah. if you told me the color was Luca Blue, by the way. When yeah, you threw that yeah. out, I was like, is it really right, called? Right. No, it's not called Luca Blue. But as yeah. I, said, I was like, yeah, that yeah. sounds like a thing. Oh, yeah, kind of like, in a way, it's like I started with the yellow, and then I thought, oh, blue works good for past, and then the red really worked good for Marie, and I kind of like this yeah. almost like uh, primary color scheme thing. So it all kind of played together. But anyway, sorry, Kyo, what were you saying? You were saying so. Oh, I, just, I was yeah. going to say you, that you like that you climb blue, but I was the one thing that I um, I really loved, and I didn't even it didn't even occur to me. We we Byron and I have had a chance to go to some schools. Um, I was in Calgary um, a few months ago, and we did some stuff where we listened to music with the kids, and they had they did some drawing. And one of the things we really wanted to kind of emphasize was that in this book. Um, Byron did a lot of interpreting of music without using any musical notes. So like the typical ways that you'd represent music through drawing, he doesn't use any of those little shortcuts at all. And I just thought, I mean, that was the challenge in this book was how to convey full, the fullness of sound and music in a silent medium. And I, I really get the sense of music when I look at Byron's drawings. Like I just get this feeling of, you know, kind of fluid, kind of um, luscious sound with the opera images and then the kind of more abrupt, jagged sound with the rap stuff. And it's just the way he's conveyed different genres, like just through line and texture is just, to me, amazing. The threads, um, sometimes like smoothly flowing around framing the characters and sometimes like just erratic firing off i i think play so much to that that energy with the music too and then that paired with just the way you posture your characters byron you you allow i mean i think every time we see mr k his body is is pointed almost like an arrow he's like pointing toward his children. It's that feeling, I'm not a classroom teacher, uh, or I'm a, a school librarian, but it's that feeling of like, I'm leaning into the kids, um, pointing to them, drawn, drawing toward them. And I noticed that with all of your characters, every time I'm flipping through this book, um, 
I'm I'm seeing that there's just a lot of thought given to the way each of your panel scenes are staged. Hmm. It's news to me. Thanks. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Whatever you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. Um, yeah, just trying to figure out the characters, and you kind of get in your head, and in a way, become the characters as you're drawing them, like. You almost kind of have to get up and move around, at least for me, and kind of like, you know, how does the teacher going to hunch? Or what kind of person do I know that's, you know, like this? It's kind of uh, kind of like Mr. K there or some of the other characters. And, yeah, I mean, that's interesting that he's always kind of pointing or something. Maybe that's a bit of a crutch, but I'm glad it, <laughs> I'm glad it worked. Well, I think all uh, of the characters sort of are, are speaking yeah. with their posturing, and I think that that's powerful. And I like the way your lines change the the squiggly thread changes when maria sings it becomes you know this these like strands of threads together that weave into there's that one image at the opera house that's like a butterfly right mm. um and i think of how all those lines look together and how there's this <laughs> your closing image i keep looking back to it because i'm like how does it how does it end again <laughs> because it's on a i i couldn't remember but i knew i should have trusted myself that it's a record, like an actual vinyl, right? And that you, yeah. there's just so much through line, isn't there, with the imagery of, of lines, of threads, mm. of of notes, hair. of how we shake things <laughs> up, hair. It's yeah. all, it's all there. It's all this wonderful mo- motif that 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 echoes out all throughout the story. It's really, it's really quite something. Oh, right on. Yeah, like I, I know I really struggled with the. I think the first page and last page where I almost put them off, I think, till very late in the game. I think, right, Keo? That didn't come till later. I I wanted it to end strong and then kind of wanted it to tie to the beginning. But, yeah, that really didn't click in until I started working out some of the other pages and and, uh, playing with that sort of, yeah, viney structure and just how that evolved from my sketches. Like, in my early sketches, I... When she hears the music the first time, it was very, like, a lot more floral. There was more bursts and blooms of sort of flower motif. And then Mm. just when I was working it, it felt a bit heavy. It didn't feel right once I was coloring it. And I ended up just scrapping a lot of it and then um, just sort of playing with that form. And then that sort of started to influence other things in the book. And so it kind of evolved as I was working through it. Hey, Keo, uh, speaking of evolution, can I ask you about how this story came to be do you have um has maria callas been an, uh, an individual that has been on your mind that you've known about for a while that you i sort of just had this like i knew of her but the way yeah. you speak of her is so intimate in this story the way you draw her in particular into charlie's life is very very intimate yeah, I mean, I'm not an opera buff. My husband is. And so I always thought of opera as kind of like badly acted musicals <laughs> and uh, with like like people yelling at each other. And like, I just, it felt over the top to me. But I guess over time, I've come to kind of appreciate it more. And I guess, you know, there's a great Julian Barnes quote where he says, like, if you if you have a broken heart, there's nothing like sitting in a dark opera theater because opera cuts to the chase. Like, if you want to learn about despair, you'll, you know, you can go to this opera and whatever. But I, for me, it, Maria Callas, because, you know, I've done a few uh, picture book biographies about women who are seen as uh, kind of being too much or over the top, 
you know, in their lifetime, like they were criticized or pilloried for being like too, um, you know, in the case of Elsa Scaparelli, like too ugly, like in ca the case of Virginia Woolf, like too modernist, you know, um, or just like not kind of following the kind of um, the conventions of literature at the time. And with Maria Callas, what I love about her was that she doesn't kind of just teach us like about singing, but she kind of teaches us how to be like how to be kind of both, you know, um, you know, beautiful and ugly, uh, fragile, but strong, like all these kind of opposites and the vulnerability in her voice and yet the strength in it as well. And I love the fact that she was considered, you know, that she was polarizing during her lifetime. Like some people loved her, some people didn't. And I'm just really attracted to these figures that are a bit more controversial and that kind of push the envelope of what's acceptable and I, these strong kind of female role models. Um, I'm just draw, really drawn to them and people who are generally seen as too much. And because this book is kind of about expression and middle school and then how operatic and kind of almost epic-like those years can be hormonally and everything, I just thought she was a great muse because she really kind of lived her life fully and unapologetically and um, you know, and made mistakes and, you know, but still kind of embraced that. And I thought if anyone's going to be the kind of patron saint of this, this time in, in one's life, I think she's a good person because she's so, um, yeah, she's just kind of an extreme character, um, full of passion and curiosity. And I just thought it was so unlikely that somebody like Charlie would gravitate toward this music that I kind of wanted to it made it more interesting for me, you know, like just that she wasn't, it, this wasn't something one would expect of a, you know, a, you know, an Asian Canadian kid in grade eight. <laughs> so yeah, mm -hmm. I just kind of like that. Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was wonderful. And I think that as you're saying it, I'm like, oh yeah, that is, isn't that the formative time when you're like, this is the song of my life. <laughs> um, it is. Or this is the individual that there are people I think about, that I learned about in middle school that became just individuals that just stuck. Like, I don't even think I realize why they stuck at the time. Just I, I, as a, as a preteen was just craving meaning and yeah. seeing myself in something. So mm -hmm. yeah, giving that to Charlie is, is a beautiful thing. I also think it's like kind of, I mean, I am so curious about what sticks in our brain and why I like can, what's going to stay with us right and like I don't know what you listen to when you're in grade eight but like it was probably something unlikely or something that you kind of back on and think like why was it that song you know and they change and they grow with us and so yeah I mean I'm kind of I just love that idea that like 20 years from now you have no idea what you'll remember what will be meaningful from this time in your life so Byron as she was saying that did you also like have a flashback of what you were listening to <laughs> No comment. Like, to oh no! Here. I think yeah. I'm going to keep that to myself. <laughs> yeah. And moving along, next topic. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is funny how, you know, like, people often ask with this, with doing this book, you know, what's your song or whatever. But um, yeah, it is just these different songs throughout your life that they just trigger different little moods. Like, oh yeah, sitting in the basement playing video games with my friends yeah. or. Doing driving in our old car down the street in in uh you know college or something and yeah it's such a cool thing it was uh, yeah, yeah I can like hear the song I was we're talking I haven't thought about it in years <laughs> but I can like hear the songs that were played at the bowling alley arcade like I can <laughs> hear them right now I can hear like Guns and Roses Sweet Child yeah, of Mine totally. or something that's amazing yeah. you know I wanted to go back really briefly Kyo to this notion of you talking about these these 
these women that were seen as as something different in that way um and, and you're you're being drawn to telling their stories and i um wanted to share that when my daughter was born we were gifted your book julia child uh, because our daughter is julia um and also because it was just this beautiful book and it was from a friend that just said i don't know if you've ever heard of this artist or this author but this book just really spoke to me it was so beautiful and i was like oh yeah this is <laughs> you you randomly pulled a book that's like holy cow um, but how profound it is that you're doing that work and that that the way you choose to tell a story, Keo, and then the way these illustrators you've had the opportunity to work with and who have worked with your stories also um, bring their voice into it. I think that I think that it, it makes me excited to see what you have working next. And I'm just going to call you out, Byron, and say um, <laughs> you can't do like this good of a job on a comic and not expect to have like <laughs> 12 more requests of comics. So yeah. I hope the very best of, of things are in the works for you both. I feel so grateful to talk to you about operatic. And I think before I wrap up, I want to make sure because we sort of, I felt myself, just lighting my brain up and wanting to hop all over the map. Is there anything about this book that we didn't talk about that you, you want to make sure we cover before we go? You brought up visiting schools and working with children. Uh, and I just want to make sure that I don't, that we don't miss anything. I don't think so. <laughs> I think you covered everything. Yeah. Yeah. Byron, you were working traditionally, right? Um, yeah, I do it in, uh, like layers of pencil. So they're, mm -hmm. they're all sort of done separately in a regular pencil. And then I put them together and colorize them on the computer. I like when you colorize that you sort of mix this, I don't know, like a, a you've mixed a lot of grays into your colors. It just, mm. it allowed them to be, it allowed the colors to not be screaming their own story, but mm -hmm. allowed the characters to be forward facing. Oh, oh okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think the gray sort of helped. Yeah, bring it down a bit. Just sort of break up the the monochromaticness a bit. And yeah. Keo, I liked that every <laughs> line you said. I wanted to fold a corner over on my book and quote the crap out of this book. <laughs> oh, that's really nice. You, just, yeah. you write. You write. I haven't read your adult books, but the way you write, Keo, you just like you just take care of your readers. You have. I think it feels like your soul is coming through your your words, and if if that is saying anything about who you are, I take you to be a very kind and loving and and caring soul that really sees the people that she's writing for, and that that as a librarian matters a lot to me to know that you or to sense that you really see your readers. Well, I really hope so. Like, I really love writing for this audience, and I feel really lucky. And I mean, I'm still like so attached to the books I read at that age and when I was little. And so, if I can give a little bit of that back, I feel very happy. Well, thank you both for coming. Thank you both for your time. I look forward to uh, just everything that comes next. I look forward to continuing to be a reader of yours. So, why don't we come back to this library and these children? As we close our conversation together, Kyo, I'll ask you first. I'll see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? 
Well, the thing I've been thinking about a lot, because this is a little bit about music as well, is the way Mr. K acts in the class and encourages everyone to kind of listen to something they've never listened to without kind of prejudgment is I would say what I really want kids to think about is how to kind of get out of their own lane, like maybe wander a little bit off their path. So whatever it is they think they must like or only like, maybe they could just kind of veer off course a little bit. Um, and I think that's kind of what I really hope people get out of this story in a way, like just from the Mr. K character. And generally, just like I think it's a really nice thing to wander in life. Yes. I have wandered all conversation and all this book about Luca. And I just want you to know that Luca is on my heart and Emil is on my heart. And that I sort of in this conversation kept them for me. And I can't wait for your readers to have them for them. Because that that was something that was a really special relationship to me. Ah, but I digress. Oh, Byron, Byron, I'm gonna just gush about you two forever unless we get off the phone. So I will see. Highlight of my day. Full of children tomorrow. Is there a message, Byron, that I can bring to them from you? Um, I guess I'll just keep it simple. I just say, uh, keep drawing and uh, have fun with it. Uh, I guess don't take yourself too seriously and just uh, get all those crazy wild ideas down on paper in some form or another. This is Darshna Kiani, children's author and book blogger. Want to find out the latest South Asian books in children's literature? Check out www.flowering-minds.com forward slash South Asian Kidlet. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com forward slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individual's and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out with the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. Before we leave, I want to give a shout out to all of my patrons, those folks who are supporting the podcast and keeping the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Jenny, Sue, Amy, Sarah, Kate, Lisa, Darshna, Marianne, Jarrett, Anitra, Mike, Lynn, Link, Karina, Cynthia, Elaine, Doug, Judy, Amanda, Ruth, Laura, Teresa, and others who are coming with me on this journey. You're welcome to come with us too. Just visit patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner and pick the support tier that's right for you. Teamwork makes the dream work, and each of you are helping to provide the tools necessary to make this podcast even greater. Thank you. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast.
Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cosy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.